Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. No. All right. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Millennial Money. We got a lot to talk about today. We got the Federal Reserve meeting coming up tomorrow. The Judgment Day of Markets is so close. And also... We have to address why we're going live on these videos. I think a lot of people have mentioned, a lot of people have commented. I've read a lot of comments and remarks. Why aren't you guys doing this in person? I thought the whole point was to be able to do this in person. And uh, Jeremy, unfortunately, unfortunately, Jeremy, I got to throw Jeremy under the bus. Jeremy decided it was a good idea to uh, take his family to Arizona. <laughs> and that means we've not been able to do these uh, recorded in the studio ahead of time. So. Jeremy's coming back finally, but uh, so this will be the last episode that we do like this that's live. And then from now on, they're going to be pre-recorded and then posted, which a lot of people said they preferred. I preferred it. The dynamic was really cool in person. So yeah. uh, we're going to be happy to have you back, Jeremy. We've been waiting well, for you. Let me let me defend myself for a moment here. I thought if I went to Arizona, it would flip the market, but actually, what it did is it made the market go down much more substantial. And I probably <laughs> lost a million dollars since I came to Arizona. So now I'm going to go back to Vegas and hope that flips the market back. Let's let's hope. Nice. Yeah. Let's so anyway, so. <laughs> so you guys will have that to look forward to, and that's that's the only reason why we've not been recording these in person is. Uh, one of the three of us has, has not been here. So anyway, that's coming soon. And also a big thank you to FTX for sponsoring our live stream. You'll see you'll see FTX next to Andre's thing right there. We have a link down below in the description where you can sign up and uh, buy, sell, track, trade both crypto and NFTs with fees that are up to 85% lower than the top competitors. But we'll, we'll talk more about them later. Jeremy, we got a lot to talk about today. Yes, we do indeed. Alex, if you want to throw us up this first slide. There it is. That's that's the big subject of the day. What is this? Okay. The oat okay. buttergram. <laughs> what the heck is that? What is so, this? Jeremy, what on okay, earth? Okay, so, so uh, somebody put your face on this, but Tattoo Chef has a new product coming out. They're these refrigerated plant-based bars, and, and somebody put you on the oat buttergram bar. And I think it looks good. I think there's a potential sponsorship there, Graham. That's not bad. I should start taking food sponsor. Oh, you know what I did? I did I did a HelloFresh sponsorship a long time ago. Oh, you did? Really, oh, cool. Really I've got HelloFresh. I love them. Not sponsored. It's so good. Just, I use them all the time. Yeah, no, I actually I actually really like them. They, they sent it as a test, and I was just like, you know, send it first, and if I like it, then, then I'm happy to do it. I loved it. Oh, gosh, the burgers and the tacos. Anyway, uh, Jeremy, what do we got? Tattooed Chef Oat Butter Graham. How yeah, much, imagine, how much imagine eating one of those, dipping into some bankroll coffee, and just mm, it'd probably be so good, man. Yeah. So does, good. This, does this mean they'll be profitable, Jeremy? <laughs> I profitable over the edge. Profitable. Let's go to the next slide, Alex. We don't talk about <laughs> profits here. It's revenue. Growth, I think. All right, guys. So obviously, big Fed meeting uh, tomorrow. Uh, yeah, right. Tomorrow, Wednesday. So what are, you, what are your expectations from this? What are your guys' thoughts on this? Do you think the market's going to move down or up huge? What, what, what's your guys' perspective on this? Yeah. I feel like everyone's so, already priced in, right? Every, everyone's expected the quarter percent increase. Yeah. And how many are we going to have? Seven? So that's what? 1.5%. Well, it's not promised. It's not promised there's going to be seven. 
Right now, I think the market priced in, a, I think it was a 70% chance at being seven, yeah. 70% chance. And then I think one of those uh, was going to be, there's like, a, they priced in a 0.37, you know, basis points on that. But right now it's, it's basically assumed it's going to be a quarter point. I would say if it's not a quarter point, <laughs> the market's just going to go phenomenal. I mean, it's just going to skyrocket. If it's not, if it's, oh, not sorry, sorry. if it's nothing, if it's nothing. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with everything with, with Ukraine and everything right now, uh, we're going to hold off and see what happens. Quarter point, I think the market would go up because the market's going to be relieved that it's not the 20% chance it's going to be a 50 basis point hike. If it's 50, then I think the market's probably going to turn downwards. But I don't know. I think it's going to be rather short-lived, whatever happens. Yeah, yeah okay. it's interesting because <clears throat> there's, a, there's a perspective that the Fed can... Mm -hmm. By the Fed raising interest rates, that's going to magically bring down uh, pricing. When you look at a lot of these things, it's like if the Fed raises interest rates, that's not bringing down a case of water. That's not bringing down the price of oil. Um, you know, the, that's just not going to help with those sorts of things. Right. And so it's I think I think people are giving the Fed a little too much credit in terms of like this is going to magically fix inflation. I just don't look at it like that. Hmm. What, do you, what do you think? Speaking of inflation, are we at that subject yet? Because I feel like I have some. I actually I watched know. one of Kevin's videos recently, and he talked about the core inflation reading, which is kind of like he, he took out the food and energy uh, prices out of it. And he said, you know, if you take those out, which are which are volatile historically, he's like, we don't inflation is not that bad. And it's like that doesn't make any sense. So maybe one of you guys could explain it to me. Like, how do you take out a core part of your life? food and energy prices. And you're like, see, inflation's not that bad if you really think about it. I mean, I get it. But the thing is, I, I see what where he's going with that because it really isolates inflation. It's like if you take out used cars from inflation, I'm just saying, I'm just as an example, if not everyone's always in the market for a car, I mean, certainly if you, if you are, that's a substantial purchase. But, you know, if you, but if used cars are impacting it that much or you take that, I, I'm not sure the exact weighting. The, the issue that I see with inflation is that it's so complicated to calculate and the yeah. weightings that they use for sure. certain criteria and how they can it's it, it is. is beyond my comprehension it and is so i have no idea how accurate it is to begin with but still food and energy does not seem like a non-essential thing it's I, I guess you could say as long as you don't need to eat or go to work inflation is not that bad don't worry about it <laughs> uh, man yeah, I, I don't really have too much of an opinion on this because I only I only eat Tattoo Chef and drink Oatly every day in my life. And, and drive Teslas to nowhere because yes. I work and, from home. Yeah. <laughs> You're so relatable, Jeremy. And, and those are always the same price. The Chef, Oatly, I buy Honest Diapers for my kids. It's always the same price, okay? So, yeah. you know, I, I don't really know but, about this. But going back to interest rates, I mean, I do think that to a certain extent, yes, it will have an impact on you – know, people will have, as a result, slightly less disposable income. I mean, it, when you think about how many Americans have credit card debt, and all of a sudden, I think the, av the average credit card debt, because I was looking this up today, uh, $6,200 is the average credit card debt of the average person in the United States. The average millennial has $28,000 worth of some type of revolving debt. That could be an auto loan, a student loan. It could be credit card debt whatever it is, $28,000. So if the the prime rate, you know, whatever that is right now, goes up by 3% over the next month or two, that's an extra $80 a month, um, you know, just, just in random interest payments going up. 
So I think for a lot of people, they're going to have slightly less discretionary income. Is that going to impact demand? Probably marginally it's it that's $80 less that someone has to spend on something else. So it, it probably ends up hurting the people that don't have the discretionary income to be spending on that to begin with. No, that makes, that makes sense. All right, Alex, you want to take us over to the next slide up here. All right, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. So Andre, I thought this was interesting, Graham. Um, you know, Bitcoin recently has been holding up very well, despite this market volatility and all the scares and stuff like that. Obviously, it had a massive drop since the November highs. But since those January lows, it's been hanging in there. It's not like it's been like just tanking down like a lot of the you know stocks and a lot of the stock market and whatnot. So you know, what do we attribute this to? Is it is it because maybe, um, you know, some of the Russian oligarchs are maybe moving money into Bitcoin or, or is it nothing? No, to do with it's that? the executive order, Jeremy. It's it's the fact that, you know, there was nothing because of kind of a watershed moment in that uh, the the Fed or, or the government didn't ban crypto. They didn't say, you know, they're not going to allow it. They just basically exactly what I said in my video the day before it came out. I just said the president, all he's going to do is just tell all of the government agencies, hey, find out more about what this thing is and report back and then let's work through it. But either way, he didn't ban it. He didn't try to get rid of it. So I think that was overall a very positive moment. So you can see why, like right after it, look how much it shoots up. And then, I mean, it's stabilized, but it's it's still trending upward. So that's, that's I think, purely because of the executive order. I, I don't think the, the Russia-Ukraine thing has much to do with the price of it. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Graham, you got any perspective on this? Uh, Bitcoin? I mean, at this point, it's, it's just a lot of speculation that maybe just people are holding. They're at a point right now where they, they have no desire to sell it. There's nothing really prompting them to to dump their Bitcoin. I think if anything, a, a lot of people are probably just holding on to it. They feel safer with it. At least for me, I'm still buying it on a regular basis. And I like knowing that I have a little bit more diversification. So I'm not selling it. So I think maybe a lot of other people are in that position. Yeah. Yeah. Something I always respected about the Bitcoin community is how strong, you know, uh, folks are that whole Bitcoin where, you know, they're really in it for the long term. And that's just something it's hard to find those sorts of communities in the investment community where you really get this like, um, you know, this very strong base around it. And in stocks, a lot with most stocks in the market that you don't really have like strong long term shareholder bases. Mm get a lot of people kind of trading in and out of it and maybe are playing that stock for like the next three months or six months or 12 months. And if any bad news comes out, they're quick to sell. Um, and there's a few stocks that, that have that long-term community. Obviously Tesla would be one of those. And uh, I just appreciate that with Bitcoin. It's, it's a strong, it's a strong. And also business. Jeremy, just to put things in perspective over the last year, 60% of Bitcoin hasn't moved out of any wow. 60%. So that just gives you an idea that 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 base of, of people that hold Bitcoin, despite what's going on to its price, is only going to increase continually as people figure out, like, I'll just dollar cost average into the market over, you know, whatever, however long I'm not going to sell it. And the more people realize that, the, the bigger that base becomes. But so far, 60 percent hasn't moved in the last year. Wow. I'm really curious how how many Bitcoin have been lost or just completely locked away. Out there was a statistic about it. It's got it's over a million to mine. I think it's like a couple million Bitcoin are gone. No, no, no. Let's say you buy uh, Bitcoin through our, our sponsor for today's video, FTX. Right, that Bitcoin would be held technically 
with FTX, right? So it's it's your Bitcoin, but it's held like FTX is holding it kind of like if you were to buy a stock uh, from a, a stock brokerage, that stock's held with the brokerage. It's your shares, but it's it's held with them, right? The same the same thing with, with Bitcoin, right? Wait, what do you mean same thing with Bitcoin? So you buy Bitcoin through FTX, right? That yeah, Bitcoin but... is held. Uh, FTX is holding that Bitcoin for you, right? You're not you're not transferring yeah. that. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. now with FTX, I don't know if you guys know this. Can you transfer it to your own wallet? Like, let's say you buy it through FTX. Can you transfer it to your own wallet? Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and I don't know if you guys can divulge if you do that or not, or if that's too personal. Do you move things to your own wallet or do you not care? I, I keep my money on exchanges personally because I don't want it sitting there. Like, a, a, And it's a very controversial thing. I, I know not everybody would agree, but a lot of people say you shouldn't keep most of your coins on a hot wallet where you know it could disappear. Mm -hmm. Personally, like, I guess because of maybe my net worth, I could take a higher risk. So I would rather earn interest on the money. Um, so, you know, to, for me, yeah. it's worth it, but I could see how in a lot of ways, it, you know, maybe you want to hold some of it in a cold storage wallet. Well, but... and aren't both kind of risks though? Like, you know, uh, cause we hear about these hard drives get lost sometimes and somehow they end up. So isn't that a risk as well? It's like, well, no, shoot, yeah, it's... no, it's not. No, no. The, the cold storage wallet is the safest place you can store your Bitcoin because even if your hardware wallet was to disappear, as long as you have access to your private key or your, your seed phrase, um, it doesn't matter what happens to the hardware device itself. Like you could literally break it in half. It, it will do nothing to your coins as long as you have that that key. Oh, okay. Yeah. So where, where's the, you know, because I'm sure I'm not the only one that, that doesn't understand this very well. So where is that digital Bitcoin technically stored in that situation then? On the blockchain. On the blockchain. Okay. Yeah, that's that's why they say Bitcoin's the most secure asset in the world, right? Because if you think about it, it's a trillion dollar asset, and yet it's been impervious to all kinds of attacks. Like no one's been able to crack the blockchain and steal your bitcoins, which is why keeping it on there is the safest place you can have it. Well, then why why is it that some people have it where if they guess a password one more time wrong, their Bitcoin's gone forever or something like that. How's that work? No, no, it's it's not gone forever. It just blocks your access from that device. So you can't mm -hmm. access your coins from that specific device. But there are other hardware wallets. There's other, I guess, interfaces. So, so think of a wallet as nothing more than like a software interface, right? And it's no different than like guessing your passcode to FTX wrong like a bunch of times. And you know how sometimes they say like, oh, you can't log in for another hour. It's basically that. It's a, it's a software written code that tells you you'll never be able to log in again. And, mm -hmm. and that's not true. At least it's true for that device. But there's so many other software interfaces you could use to try again. Does that, does that make more sense? Yeah, that makes sense. But they make a huge deal about it on the media. So I don't know. I, we'd have to dig more. Yeah, because into those are the stories that just get a lot of clicks. It's like the one yeah. guy has $300 million and he's got yeah. one password left. And if he doesn't get it, then all yeah. the money. Well, the, the truth is, if yeah, if he forgot his password to, to that device, then it's going to be very difficult for him to access it from another device, like almost impossible. So, yeah, if you didn't write your, your keyword or your phrases or your private key anywhere, then, yeah, it, it could be lost forever if you forgot it. But that's that's yeah. that's not that's not the fault of the like the device itself. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. But, yeah, for something, but, but for something like FTX, you would be able to go and buy your crypto on there. And if you want to keep it on there, you could. You could also transfer it somewhere else. For me, because uh, you're asking Andre this, I mean, I I keep a, I would say 20% is probably held on a on an exchange. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. It's, it's Some of the other ones I'll, tr I'll transfer out and earn some interest. But, you know, it, it's for me, I, I don't mind. It, it's really, mm -hmm. you know, I, I feel pretty secure with FTX as a platform. Now, that's never to say that it's impossible anything. It, maybe something could happen. You never know. A lot of times when people get crypto stolen, it, it's a, it's a you, not a lot of times, but sometimes it's user error. It's they'll follow the wrong link. They'll, they'll, they'll be subject to a phishing scam or they get on the phone with somebody who asks them to log in and they, and they're very clever about it too. So you have to be extremely careful, obviously, but uh, a lot, some of that is user error that you just have to be careful of. But for FTX, Jeremy, you would be able to go and buy your Bitcoin for 85% less than the top competitors. You can also track up to 10,000 different currency options all on FTX. And there's also yeah. no, there's no gas fees on the top Ethereum and Solana collections, Jeremy. Wow. You know that. So, that that's yeah. a no joke as holy smokers. Oh my yeah. God. So Jeremy, part of the reason also why Bitcoin's going up in value with the executive orders, can, can you imagine a time where like, for example, right now with stocks, right? If you keep your stocks on a broker, like, you know, whatever it is, uh, maybe FTX, once they start doing stocks, mm -hmm. they can, they can do, they can have SIPC insurance, right? Where your, your cash and your stocks are protected up to half a million dollars of which 250,000 is cash. I believe that's SIPC. And then FDIC insurance for bank deposits is $250,000. Mm -hmm. We don't have that for crypto. Now, thankfully, FTX is large enough to where I'm sure if user funds are stolen, for example, they would, you know, reimburse you. But if we can have a regulatory framework for that kind of thing and there's a crypto equivalent for insurances, then like, could you imagine what, what would happen to the price of Bitcoin if people felt safe enough to actually custody it online? Yeah, but so, Andre, so two things. One for SIPC, it's 500 grand. Yeah. Uh, FDIC is 250. Right. The, the issue that I would see is that typically... SIPC and FDIC insurance prevent loss if the company itself goes under. So let's just say you have it in, in Binance. And Binance is like, oh, crap, guys, we just went bankrupt. All uh, the money's gone. Then the SIPC insurance would step in, but it wouldn't prevent necessarily loss. Are you 100% sure? Because I feel like that's exactly what it's, what it's protecting from. from I don't, I, I could be wrong, but I'm not sure if it would be covered under a hack versus if it's covered under a company going bankrupt i could be wrong okay but, my understanding is bankruptcy is covered too but i could be wrong too yeah bankruptcy 100 percent. yeah um loss or theft i'm not sure about oh that's fair yeah loss or theft they you know they would always pretty much cover that because then they could end up obviously in a big lawsuit or just right. so much bad publicity that it would be yeah. worth you know <laughs> way more money to them so all right, cool. Let's take it on over the next slide, Alex. Ooh, oil. Look at this, guys. Basically, since around the last episode, oil has fallen, believe it or not, about 25%. That's and huge. yeah, who, who, I mean, who would have thought this? I mean, to be honest, I, I know a lot of pretty educated people on, on the markets. And I, I, if I went back a week ago in time and I said, is oil more likely to be 140, 150 at this time next week or 96? I almost 100% of people would have been like, yeah, 140, 150 is probably going to, not 96. Um, 
so it just shows the unpredictability, I think, of, of the markets in the short term, whether that be cryptos or stocks or, or even the oil market, man. Insane. Mm. But yeah, and it's, uh, we know why it's moving down. Like my understanding is because there, there, there's, I guess, hopefulness that, you know, Russia and Ukraine can come to some kind of peace agreement. And if that's the case, then oil doesn't have a reason to be that high since, you know, but. Um, yeah, and there's more. Yeah, there, there's uh, more more wells too um, online, more drilling wells mm -hmm. this week than the previous week, and so that should be mm -hmm. a trend that continues to accelerate. I would assume over the coming weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I was thinking about this. This is this is a confusing dynamic here. So, imagine you're a driller, uh, a fracking you know company or whatever, right? Now, if we know oil and gas sector, they don't get too they don't get along very well with Dems, right? And so obviously everybody that's in office right now, Democrat, they want as much production as possible so oil can start dropping, right? With midterms coming up, though, think about if you're an executive of an oil and gas company. You could say, well, yeah, I could produce more, maybe make a little bit more money, but then I'll shoot the price down likely. Or I could make everybody kind of suffer for a little bit longer, not increase production, get these people out of office that we don't even like each other anyways, and then be in a situation where, um, you know, you get a, folks in there that are maybe a little more on your side. So it's a it's a big game of chess. And and uh, I think that's what I think yeah. that's what a lot of people don't see. Well, it's interesting. I feel like this is such a bad thing for energy stocks in general, like what we saw in the last few weeks, because think about this. If you go from one hundred forty dollars, um, you know, per barrel to down to 90 where we are now, 97 in the matter of just a few weeks. How do you use, like, how do you think about profitability in the future? How do you extrapolate data out into the future when you have such a volatile commodity? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, if I'm an investor, I'm not going to have a lot of courage or, like, conviction in holding energy stocks when I know that I can't predict profitability if it's that volatile to, to that degree. So, yeah. if anything, I just feel like it exposed the weakness of holding these kinds of things. So, I don't know. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I think, you know, if you get some insane pricing, you know, plays like USO or something like I, I remember I got in that one after oil went negative and it was like, obviously that was completely unsustainable and oil was going to bounce. But I think to play a lot of these things now is difficult because it's like, you know, where, where's oil's next move? 120 or is it 80? And then also where's oil going long term? Some of it I feel like is somewhat self-regulating. Because the higher oil goes, the more expensive these products are going to be, the, the more expensive it is to drive your car, the more expensive it is to fly a plane. I think naturally people will start to cut back. Like Even looking at airline tickets, I'm sure there's going to be a percentage of those people who's going to look at prices and say, it's not worth it for me to travel right now. Um, or instead of taking that road trip, or instead of, you know, summer is gearing up, instead of taking that vacation, let me do something a little closer. So I think people will start to scale back. Um in terms of what their income is able to to purchase from this and that will in turn lessen some demand so it'll help a little bit so i feel like we get to a certain price and people just will start to cut back and i think that point tends to be about five dollars a gallon yeah mm. there was an interesting study done by fundstrat i didn't prep a slide for that but um it did an interesting uh well like kind of research report recently and basically if oils at i think it's like Three dollars a gallon, or two fifty, or something like that. It makes up like uh, two point five percent of a person's wallet, so spendable money. If it's over four, then it's like four percent roughly. And if you go back to two thousand seven, I believe it was close to like five percent of wallet. 
And there was time periods, I think it was either in the 70s or 80s, where it was actually a little over 6% of the wallet. So that's just another kind of way of, of looking at it where it's like, well, how much is this relative to um, past time periods? Because um, mm. obviously the average income is more nowadays and those sorts of things, right? So, yeah. yeah. Also, Jeremy, is this WTI, is this kind of the equivalent of Brent crude oil? Because I think we talked about it last week, but anytime that you know the Brent crude oil went over $104, that's when it's been a pretty reliable predictor of recessions. So yeah. my question is like, how long does that have to, to be over $104 for it to actually count as like going over that point? Cause if we just touch it barely for like a couple of days, like does that count or does it have to be at that point for a prolonged period of time? That's a good, that's a good question. Um, you know, and I, I don't know the answer to the, to that one. Um, you know, WTI, this is what everybody pretty much in the United States looks at for oil price. Brent, uh, sometimes is, is bigger when it comes to Europe, but mm. yeah, when it comes to these, these oil prices, it's like, yeah, if it spikes up for like a day or two and then just comes back straight down, like, does that have anything to do with it? Probably not. If it's like over a period of time, let's say oil stays high, gas price stay high. That's a little different scenario, but if it spikes for like a day or two, it's like, come on, man, this is kind yeah. of silly. That, that, like, that's right. the argument against the yield curve inverting as well. Like if, if we have a yield curve, sorry about that. Jeez, if we have a yield curve, that was loud. That was loud. Jesus. Scared I mean, me. Jeez. Person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like if we, what was that? Where was I going? I totally, totally lost. Um, oh yeah. That's the yield curve inversion yeah. argument. Like if we get interest rates to dip below the two year mark, against the 10-year treasury for like, you know, a day or a week or whatever, that, does that really count? Probably not. Like it has to be there sustained for at least a couple of weeks, maybe a month for that to work. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, bottom line with this, everybody, good news, oil's coming down. Doesn't mean that it's going to stay down because it could easily come back, but um, at least it's getting down there to uh, more normal prices. So yeah. um, mm -hmm. the, the frustrating part for a lot of people, I think is going to be like, they're not going to see it in gas prices right now. And they're like, wait, Oil just dropped 25%. Why is my gas price not dropping 25%? And uh, that right. that's the- Yeah, that's actually really interesting. I, I never understood the mechanics at a gas station. I feel like <laughs> when oil prices are going up, the prices go up like instantaneously. Yep. And then when they drop, it just, no, it takes months. Yeah, I, I don't want to speak too much about specifics of my old company, but I can tell you, man, did we we have some super profitable periods when oil was more volatile? That was better for us, um, mm. and we even had like you know professional traders and whatnot that would trade the commodity. And uh, yeah, the more the more volatile the asset was, usually the more profitable we were. When oil was in a kind of stagnant place, it gets very competitive between the gas stations because it's a commodity. And so, you know, you get into this kind of price war. But in these volatile times, it's just crazy, man. And you you can you, you can honestly charge a lot more. So Yeah, it makes sense. People, I, I I haven't really paid attention much to gas prices, but but like I'm looking at one that's right across my house and I'm seeing the price adjust like every 10 seconds. I don't know if that's normal, but I I don't remember seeing that before. But now yeah. it's like every 10 seconds, it, it, like it goes up a couple pennies or goes down a penny or two. It, it's crazy. Yeah. So in the way we used to do it at, at my old company is um, you could get a call at any time uh, to your store from the supervisor who overlooks about 20 different stores. Um, and he says, hey, go change your price to dot, dot, dot. And you got to go change it at wow. that moment. So and uh, we used to do what's called gas comps. So you go around the, the other gas stations that are around you and you report into the system like, you know, what the other gas stations are charging. 
the supervisor looks over all those numbers and, and whatnot and then chooses hey, bump it up five cents or you know or bring it down five cents or whatever if you're trying to take market share at a particular time so crazy but yeah no crazy for sure all right alex let's let's see the next one Ooh, okay so this is a, this is a fun one all right gentlemen so what this is this shows you uh the aii sentiment over time which is investor sentiment and I, I I did all these lines here. So the green line, if you go below that green line, you're kind of getting in too bearish of a market. If you're right around the blue line, you're in a, a normal market where you should be. Mm. And if you get to above the red the red line, you're usually too bullish. Okay. And so I think it's interesting when you look at it and you see several different bump ups all in the same range because it kind of goes back to Andre what we were just talking about it's like well what if it just bounces down or bounces up real quick it's like does that really matter it's when it's kind of there for a sustained period that every single time um it's there for a sustained period it's usually a huge buy and a dip opportunity so if you look at 2002 2003 great time to be buying stocks that was kind of the bottom of the tech bubble there great time to be buying you had you were under there quite a bit if you look at 0809, you have several, several spikes during that period. Obviously, it was a great time to buy stocks in 0809. 2010, you had several spikes. Um, obviously, you know, 11, 12, those are kind of single off spikes, but that was still mm -hmm. a great buy the dip opportunity. 2015, 2016, you had a great yeah. buy the dip opportunity there. And then uh, around uh, 2019, obviously in the 2020 crash, you had several spikes. And then recently, you know maybe this is the one that breaks trend and uh it's not a time to buy but usually that's a pretty good indicator that you should be buying stocks so and it seems like these these bearish moments last for anywhere between like a year to a year and a half um before they come back up it seems yeah depending um and the market can bounce back stronger than that because most of the time the market will only stay down for like a three to maybe eight month time period um, so the market can start bouncing back and people can still be overwhelmingly bearish. That happens sometimes where, you know, investors will think, oh, this is just a fake rally. We're going to go right back down. So they remain bearish and bearish and bearish. Right. And then the market starts bouncing back and they're like, wait, what? This is actually happening. So for instance, a good time period to look back at is look at 1-1-2009 to 7-2-2009. Okay. So from January to, to July of 2009, look at, you had several periods in there that the market was too bearish. But the thing is the market bottomed in February of 2009 and then started coming back very strong. And yet investors remained super bearish because they were seeing all the negative numbers. We were in the great recession and they're like, why is the market bouncing back? This just has to be a fake rally. Well, it wasn't a fake rally and the market never came back again, but investors mm -hmm. remained actually very, very bearish during that, that whole time period. So well, it seems like they came back temporarily on the on December at the end of December 09. There's that dip right there between the two green squares. But do you see what I'm talking about? The 1231. Yes. Yep. Yep. And then it went right back to super bearish yeah. again. That, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It just like tugs on your heartstrings. You're like, I knew it. It was a fake out. Like, nope, never mind. Yeah. Come back. <laughs> I would yeah. love to see the overlay of this with an index like the S&P or the NASDAQ to see just how much they, they correlate. Um, I yeah. find it very interesting because you could see through 2015 through 17, the market was continuing to move upwards while mm -hmm. there was still very bearish sentiment. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. 
feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, the the, uh, the market did have some kind of time periods in 2015, 2016, where it did pull back. Um, and it was kind of a treacherous market during that time. And I remember specifically, it was kind of like summertime, late summer of 2015. There was a lot of fear about China's growth was slowing. So then they were like, could China go into recession? Then the U.S. had some troublesome numbers. And it was like, maybe the U.S. goes into recession. Then we went into the election of 2016. And so um, there was that was definitely, a, a I would call it a messy time in the market. I remember that being a treacherous market. So, but yeah, anyways, that, that's an interesting thing. And then you go back to 2000, uh, look at how bullish the market was. The overwhelming amount was was so bullish on the market, you know, in 2000, 2001. And obviously the market just tanked during that time. So that was an yeah. interesting time period where this, the market was tanking and, and people still remain bullish. How crazy is that? Yeah, this is the same. Well, I'm using the Fred St. Louis Fed data. Um, Alex, I don't know if you'll be able to find it. It's like one of the last pictures I sent, but it was um, the University of Michigan study on the market sentiment. Like right now, <clears throat> it's sitting at 67.2. I mean, to be fair, that was a January measure since it's so backwards looking. But I, get, I think it's fair to say that right now we are very pessimistic about the market as a whole. Like that's what I'm, I'm not seeing greed. I'm seeing a lot of fear in the markets. That That's my personal assessment of it. It seems people are really scared right now. Yeah. Yeah, it seems uh, definitely kind of yeah. going through time where it almost seems... Uh, where people are either holding or or selling it seems more than than actually out there buying yeah alex if you scroll down just a little bit you can see the time scales so so the last time we were kind of in this area was around 2000 i don't know 11 to and the time before that 08 ish so it's you know we're kind of in that same range right now mm. Yeah, I would love to see it, man. I, I hope someday we can see like uh, more accurate numbers, like up to date. Like, how cool yeah. would that be, man? That would be awesome. See. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like by the time the February numbers come out, we'll probably already be after March. It'll probably already be April at that point. Or like, yeah. well, shoot, you know, things could have got a lot worse, a lot better. It's like, ah, <laughs> true, true. So no, but that, that's interesting. All right, Alex, you want to take us over the next one here? That's a that's a that's a good one there. And by the way, shout out to everybody that's uh, in the the members chat. We appreciate you guys. Much love as always. And, and as also, always, by the way, also make sure to subscribe if you haven't already subscribed. I guarantee, like half the people watching right now, you're not subscribed. <laughs> totally free, totally free to do. And then once you click that subscribe button, you can also thank our sponsor FTX. Yes, with the link in the description down there. Yes. All right, guys. So. Next term up here, recession. So recession term has spiked on Google Trends. It's gone insane. Uh, what's going on here? Like, you know, the fear is it because the market's going down, which is why everybody like starts searching recession or doing articles or videos about it. Or is it is there something bigger there? Um, that's kind of my question to you guys. What, what do you think is going on here? It seems kind of like that Henry Ford quote where it's like, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, 
you're right. So it seems like when, whenever there's a, whenever there's an overall sentiment, and, and and we're seeing this in the media too. I feel like I'm reading this almost every day, where it's like some article where it's like inflation at the fastest pace ever since 1984, 40 year record highs, recession chances are increasing, and it and it's like this constant feedback loop that kind of feeds into itself, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I just feel like that's kind of what's contributing to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's just a combination of the Fed raising interest rates, uh, the possibility of a recession, and people are just, just Googling it. It's the first thing. Well, what happens during a recession? No. So that that's what I think is contributing to this. Uh, could it be uh, you know, cause and effect? Maybe. But if anything, we're not going to know we're in a recession until much later. So we could very well right now be in a recession and not figure this out until probably the end of the year. Yeah. But speaking of recession, I've actually, I used to believe that, that unemployment, like whenever I thought about unemployment, I would think like, oh, it's, it's especially important to pay attention to jobs, right? It, it makes sense. Pay attention to jobs. If people are being laid off, we're going into recession, but that's like not how it works at all. It's the reverse. First, we get a recession. We get a decline in profits. You know, profit margins shrink. And if you look at the Fred St. Louis Fed data, uh, I wish I, I, I shared it with you, but it's, it's, if you look at the unemployment rate, you'll see that the, the gray areas that, that show the recession areas, it happens first and then unemployment numbers spike after that gray column. So it's like it, it, a recession has to happen first where you're going to hear a ton of bad news. You know, stock prices are going to fall hard and that's when people start getting laid off. So, so jobs, job losses come after the uh, official recession is here, which thankfully we're not in yet. Hopefully we don't go in that direction, but. Yeah, and I heard something interesting recently, and I'm kind of a believer in this a little bit, uh, at least. Uh, you know, the stock market can sometimes be a bad ind- indicator, but a lot of times the stock market will lead you lower um, going into a recession and kind of like forecast a little bit. And so, for instance, two, 2008, 2009 was a great example of that where uh, markets started dropping before we were technically in a recession. And yeah. then uh, obviously it started bouncing back February 2009 when we were still in technically a big recession. People are like, what? Why is the stocks bouncing already? Like, you know, we're still in this thing, man. This is ugly. But um, no, yeah. it makes sense that the stock market is, is in some way a leading indicator. With You know, if you look at profitability and it's the reason why companies have to let people go because they still have to service their debt. They still have to pay you know, the, the money that they're, 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 they owe other companies and whoever they borrowed it from. So obviously to make up the difference, if they're not seeing those profits, is to let people go. So it yep. makes sense that the stock market is somewhat tied to how a recession might happen. Yeah. 100%. All right, Alex, you want to take us over to the next one? Oh, I, I feel like we've heard COVID for like nice. way too long now. Yeah, China orders 51 million people into lockdown as COVID surges. Oh, can't we just move past it? We just can't do it, huh, guys? It's like, ah, every time we think it's over with. It's like a bad horror movie and the, the, they just it's keep coming true. alive. It's like, uh. Can we just move past this slide? <laughs> I feel like you have to wear a mask right now. I don't want to do it. <laughs> I know. We fin- we're finally getting out of masks uh, here in the States and Things are finally opening up again. You still have to wear a mask at the airport, but uh, there's even talk that after April 18th, they might be moving that away. But yet, I don't know, man. It's just it's it's just disappointing. That's all I can say. Yeah. But it is what it is. I just feel I feel like we're so desensitized at this point. Like it would have to yes. be something 
significant, like really bad for, for it to really affect us in any significant way. And this, I don't think this is scary enough. Like I reading that I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> like it's just, it doesn't really, I don't know, but it doesn't bother me, but. Okay. Yeah. No. So you, you don't think that the government's going to ever send us into lockdowns or anything like that? No, again? I would be, I would be shocked. I think it would have to be a new variant. It's so deadly. It's so yeah. transmissible where it's like, it would have to be double, triple mm -hmm. the worst that we've seen so far. And even then I bet there would be a significant portion that would just say, no, we're not doing this again. So I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think it would have to be pretty bad for that to happen. And who uh, yeah. knows? Maybe, maybe that happens, but I would doubt it. And somebody brings up an interesting uh, comment in our, our member chat there talking about supply chains. And, well, yeah, if you put China more into lockdowns, potentially supply mm. chains might get even – You know, supply chains seem to just finally be getting a little fixed in this most recent quarter. And it's like, oh, if you're talking about mass lockdowns in China again – you could be talking about supply chains. Yeah. If anything, that supports the high, you know, inflation hypothesis, right? If you if you disrupt supply chains again, then you're just going to get more inflation. Yeah. Super straightforward. Yeah. Right. Disappointing. That's all I can say. Just disappointing. But it is what it is. All right, Alex, you could you could take us to the next one. That's just a sad one. We'll act like that one didn't exist. So <laughs> if if we got any more, uh, oh. Yeah, this was this was your. There we go. That, that just kind of ties into what we just said. It's like if if we're seeing supply chain disruptions, especially in China, and it's kind of interesting. So that that was when I referenced Kevin's video where he took out some you know aspects of inflation of how we measure it. That um, was the core inflation reading where you took out food and energy. Uh, then I guess inflation is not that bad. I just I I'm not sure. Like I, I have to have it explained to me. Maybe like I'm five for me to understand. But I, I just I don't understand how you can take out core essential bits of our life and just say, well, if you take this part out, you know, the thing that actually makes inflation inflation, then there's no inflation. It's like, yeah, duh, I don't know. But that's not reality. Like we still have to buy food. We still have to buy oil, gas and drive to work. It's, I don't know. So it's it's interesting that Goldman Sachs and even I'm seeing politicians recently, they're, they're all coming to the same consensus that um, if wage growth is outpaced by inflation then that's a huge recessionary factor if if you if you have wage increases that can't match the price increases then obviously that increases the odds for a recession so i think this is not a good sign if inflation continues yeah but it could continue even just marginally i i am still in the belief that you know eventually things will begin to stop going up at seven and a half percent even if things increase by three to four percent yeah I, I think anything at this point is gonna is gonna be better than seven i don't think we'll have seven but i for some reason i believe that in the next few like two three years we'll probably settle between four to five percent easily possibly but if goldman sachs predicts four and a half percent by the end of this year and three percent by the end of 23 that to me doesn't seem terrible when you when you also account, i mean yes this last year at seven and a half percent has been really high but then you also have to look at throughout the last 10 years we've the fed is has been unable to meet their two percent target so when you when you balance it out over 10 years over a decade if yeah. so many years of underperforming not doing anything uh going up one percent one and a half percent uh you know some big spikes at seven and a half you know 4.63 probably going to balance out to two over, oh, over I, a decade 
I think so too. It, it, it's probably exactly how Jerome Powell will will re, will reason with uh, inflation being at four to five percent. He's like, well, if you look at the last twenty years and you average it all out, technically well, we're on. Point. But but that's kind of how you got to look at it. Same thing with the stock market. People always say, you know, it's going to be seven to nine percent. There are very few years that actually hit seven to nine percent. Right. Though. Right. You're going to have a thirty percent year, and it's going to be great, and then it's going to go down. You know, from there, twenty percent. People are going to be, oh, it went down, but then it's going to go back up and down. It'll average. Sure. Think, a, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's like 31 year and then zero, zero. And if you divide it by three, right. there's your percent. <laughs> right. So I think in the in the big, in the short term, it's it's bad to, to see such a yeah. big increase. And if all things considered, it would be a lot better to be stable. But in the big picture, um, as long as that just balances out, that's the way yeah. I look at it. Call me crazy, but I feel like inflation at 5% is high that is a even though it averages out sure in the, in the last well, however many years to two i still think four to five percent is like really high especially sustained for a few years yeah 100 percent. now if you guys were in a mr powell's shoes tomorrow are you raising if you're raising how much you raising tomorrow i think he's doing it the right way i think a quarter percent is a safe increase where it's like hey let me let me we'll test, test it how's yeah. this you guys like this 0.25 <laughs> all right cool we'll do it again I think that's that's. I don't think he can do he can do better. I think that's as as good as anyone can do right now. Yeah. Imagine imagine he raises it a quarter a quarter percentage and uh, the market tanks like seven percent. <laughs> Something ridiculous. Just <laughs> the biggest sell off like we've seen since like the March twenty twenty crash. Like what? It was I only know. a quarter percentage. Are you freaking yeah. kidding me? <laughs> Matt, well, yeah. Just, but that's the thing too. I, I think there's a small part of the market that's expecting, hey, it could be bigger than this. And so there's going to be a little fear until until we know. But even yeah. then, I think it's going to be a short-term thing. The market's going to be excited if it's a quarter point because they know what to expect. And then the next thing, what about the next one? Yeah. Is it going to be a half a percent? And, and, and it's going to be the same thing. What do you I, guys think is the worst case scenario tomorrow? 50 basis points. Yeah. Half a percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't think they go any higher than that. Um, oh. But I think they kind of already forecasted that they're going to do a quarter percent, you know, through the through the tea leaves, as we call it. So, but uh, all right, Alex, you want to take us to the next one? I think we might have one left and then overtime, maybe potentially. Oh, yeah. Andre, you had a, this one for us here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's an interesting little thing. So household wealth tops 150 trillion for the first time ever, which is a, which is a good sign, right? That's from, you know, the stimulus stuff that we've had in the crazy stock market and, and, and meme stocks and uh, meme cryptos and stuff. But I thought what was interesting is out of the $150 trillion, uh, 6% of that wealth is owned by millennials or only $10 trillion, which mm. is kind of interesting because when you see this metric, you're like, oh, cool, people are getting richer. But then you think about like who's actually becoming wealthier. It's definitely not the up and coming generation. It's it's the well, wealth makes sense, though. I mean, yeah. they've had less time in the markets and the people who have more time in the markets. Eventually, yeah. you give this 30 years, it'll be millennials are making all the money. It'll be like, uh, you know, the grandchildren generation. They're going to be looking right. at us being like, but they were they're yeah. making all the money now. I don't know. I think it's going to be millennials will have a time to shine. So will Gen Z. Sure. I agree. It's I agree. Time, it's time in the market. Millennials got hit so many different ways, like graduating during the great uh the Great Recession, uh, you know, getting getting a decent setback there for the first five years, saving up enough, and then everything gets more expensive between stocks and real estate. So I think it'll take even more time. But yeah, 
hopefully in 50 years we'll read headlines like bitcoin millennial trillionaires are taking up all the wealth <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Oh, who's gonna be the first trillionaire take a take a guess first trillionaire yeah. uh i would say elon musk if i were to bet anybody i'd probably elon okay he'd find a way to do it what do you think jeremy uh he man he's closest uh shoot man i don't know because let me explain why this gets difficult okay people give away wealth all the time and so like for instance bill gates would be way more rich if he hadn't already given away so much wealth the same <laughs> thing of like Warren Buffett. yeah no, 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 so no, like, sorry not with the bill gates sorry bezos with the divorce yeah bezos with the divorce uh i think bill gates also with the divorce so that's the toughest part is it's like somebody could be going up there and then all of a sudden they give yeah. away a bunch of money and they're like oh i was doing calculations recently and um if steve jobs was still alive obviously and if he wouldn't he sold uh apple stock heavy about three different times and two of the times were kind of i think a little more of an emotional decision than a logical decision but if he wouldn't have done that and he was still alive today he would be wealthier than warren buffett bill gates mm. jeff bezos and elon musk combined who is wow. this steve jobs Ooh, steve jobs okay you should, you should have played along andre and you're like who's steve jobs i've never heard who's of him. that <laughs> no, I was I was looking something up while you were saying it. Isn't um, he the guy from Microsoft? <laughs> uh, I was looking at because uh, one of the people I I think most people don't think about is Satoshi, right? Satoshi Nakamoto. Even though he'll probably never come back, but Satoshi's wallet owns a million bitcoins. So for him to be a trillionaire, Bitcoin would have to hit one million dollars per Bitcoin, which is technically supposed to happen. Um, based on the stock to flow model anyway, at the end of this decade, by the end of the de decade, before 2030, or right around there. So if if one of the guys we talked about doesn't hit trillion by then, it's most likely going to be Satoshi with his million Bitcoins. When, now, when you say Satoshi, you mean Craig Wright? Is that what you, that's that who you're referring <laughs> to there, Andre? <laughs> don't, don't get murdered by the comments, Jeremy. Got him! <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh. Well, no, uh, that that's definitely possible. What about our man Sam at FTX? Maybe he oh. he's the first one. Never he's know. the youngest billionaire, self-made, yeah. not the self-made billionaire. Wow. I could so I was about to say if it's not Elon Musk, it could be someone in crypto. And it just depends how big the crypto market gets. Mm -hmm. I would not be surprised if someone like Sam Bankman Fried is able to do it. Yeah. Would but but you know what? If if the only thing that would prevent uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, which for those who don't know, I highly recommend after this is over, just look up Sam Bankman-Fried, watch one of his interviews. Um, I'm not saying this because they are sponsoring the video, but even before, like, uh, uh, even before they become a sponsor, like I've been a fan of Sam, but watch one of his interviews. Um, the only thing that I think would prevent him from becoming a trillionaire is that he would give a lot of it away before he was able to accumulate that much. I don't think he, he would ever get to a point where he would have a trillion dollars that's not being put to a higher purpose. Yeah. And that could be helping the world, solving so many problems, just bettering humanity. So that, that's what I think. And that I think too, with a lot of with a lot of um people, they would be giving it away up until then. I don't think anybody unless it's tied up in a company that just happens to blow up and it's just the best thing ever and they, they haven't sold it. That's what I think. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, now, let's say you guys had to give away, you had a billion dollars and you have to give it away tomorrow. 
what, what are you gentlemen giving it to? I think I'll, I'll answer first uh, so you have some time to think about it. I think I would consider um, probably giving it uh, a good amount to Alzheimer's research. Um, and I think I'd give a good amount to um, different programs that help like inner city youth. I think that would be up there. Um, those, those would definitely be the two that, that come to mind uh, for me personally. But what about you guys? Yeah. I would probably donate a lot to solve like disease, um, a lot, mostly like a lot of research in terms of uh, uh, just I, I guess so, like you like you mentioned, Jeremy, like like trying to 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 better cure cancers, diseases, ailments, things like this. Uh, but I also have a soft spot for like the environment, so and, and mm. coral reefs, obviously. So yeah. I I think there's a lot that that could be done there. Gosh. You guys have had so much time to think about this. I, I've not, so I can't give you an intelligent answer because this is not yeah. one of those like, oh, I just donated to these, to these people. Andre would be like, I bought a mansion, I bought that Ferrari. <laughs> no, that was that is not what I would ever do. <laughs> I've lived poor and broke in a country where I I, I would feel guilty about having those things. Like, I, I, I didn't think I could ever bring myself to buy a Ferrari just because of where I come from. And like just knowing the difference in like what, how much more useful that money is for, for other people. But uh, I, I wish you could give a better answer. I don't know who I would donate it to. Okay. It's, you really have to look up for a long time to really understand. I think um, another good one would be a, a program to help out, um, you know, maybe countries that are super underdeveloped, but with uh, financial yeah. literacy and, and maybe just yeah. like base level business stuff um, in, in a lot of those countries, um, I think would be, would be pretty cool. Like, cause a lot of people don't even know, like, you know, no, in the States, it's kind of kind of complicated, a little more complicated to start a business. You got to get this business license, things like that. In a lot of countries, it's not like that. You can just start operating. But uh, I think there's a lot of folks that probably don't even understand like what what it means to like have a profit. Right. Yeah. Or like what's a healthy profit margin for a business or um, I, how do you even think about it? And I will like say, though, something interesting. I don't think people think about like how much money a trillion dollars really is or even a billion dollars because that's not really relatable. But if you went back in time one billion seconds, you would go back to 1991, okay? But if you went back in time one trillion seconds, you would go back to the year 29,687 BC. Wow. Just, just for context. No. Whoa. Yes. What? Yes. Really? Yes. Dang. That's so, kind of a mind-blowing mind statistic. Wow. Oh my gosh, that, that blew my mind, man. So what you're telling me is dinosaurs are real? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andre, you're right. Wow, I looked this That's up because I didn't crazy. believe it. You're right. Jeez. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, right. a trillion seconds is 31,000 years. Kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. That, that's nuts. Oh my goodness. But so, but then there was there's this other philosophical perspective. Like when you look at wealthy people, you're like, wow, they've got so much money. But we're all kind of billionaires being as young as we are in a way. It's like, how do you measure your wealth? Is it in money or is it in time? Because you are a time billionaire, technically. Like you've, you, you will probably live for at least another 31 years. That's a billion seconds right there. So technically, if you're, you know, if you're going to live for the next 31 years, you are a billionaire in ways that people like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett will never be. 
And that's kind of an interesting thing. That is. That's that, yeah. Wow. That's incredible. It yeah. uh it reminds me of one of my favorite movies ever. That you guys ever seen that movie in time with uh, yeah. Timberlake? That's a good one, I man. I love that movie. I love that movie. That concept is crazy. Like you could technically live Oh, well, forever, as long as you have like all this this time and they like take it off you. And oh but God. that's how life is like then like anytime you pay for something, like if we had a counter on our wrist of how many seconds we'd be alive for. And the next time you go to buy a cup of coffee or like whatever it is, like mm -hmm. if you think about how we trade our time for money, that's mm -hmm. exactly how it works. Like you just scan mm -hmm. your wrist and you're like, OK, cool. Suck my time out of me because yeah. like it, it took you time to get that money. Yep. So it's it's kind of interesting when you think about it that way and maybe focus less on making an income from your job and more on making passive income while you sleep. That way you're not drained those precious seconds for buying the things yeah. you need. What do you guys think about the because uh, I definitely have seen some of this on social media. There's like a pushback against passive income in that mm -hmm. passive income isn't real um like what do you guys think when you when you see that 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 sort of stuff out there you know because i've definitely you guys have probably seen some of this out there before uh i saw a funny meme of somebody saying something like i thought this was the greatest thing it was it was uh would you rather have a billion dollars or lunch with warren buffett <laughs> or like passive income oh, like thousand dollars a month Jeez, yeah, <laughs> and you're just like, or like a thousand dollars passively a month, and people are like, oh, a thousand dollars passively a month, <laughs> like give me that. Passive income's the best, and I feel like that's kind of where it stems from. It's like taking that concept mm -hmm. to an extreme where people are so focused on that. But yeah, it's absolutely real. I don't, I'm not sure I follow that it isn't. Yeah, I, I don't know what the argument they make. I guess it's that in order to have gotten that passive income, you had to put in active work. Yes to get it. But still at the end of the day, it's like, if it keeps making you money months and years future, it's like, I don't know. This seems so stupid because it's like, of course you have to do something. It's like, you're not going to get money for adding no value at all. You can't mm -hmm. just exist. And I'm sure some people could just exist and get money, but that's luck. I mean, that's like being born into the right family at the right time and being of able minded body. But like, assuming you have, you're, you're, you're able, I mean, of course you're going to, you have to. I don't yep. know. It's then what you, you know, putting your money to work from there, but I don't know. Absolutely. Passive income exists. And yes, it does take work to set up. Some are going to be riskier than others. Some are not going to last as long as others, but I think things like, um, you know, rental properties probably as passive as it'll get for a lot of people uh, or dividends. So between the two, but you know, everything has a bit of risk to it. There's never going to be something that just pays you every month, no matter what, um, that doesn't have some degree of risk or that, doesn't pay you below what inflation is. Also, you, unlike, sorry, unlike active income, passive income lasts beyond someone's life, right? Like that, that gift of passive income can be passed on, whereas active income can't. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot, Andre. Do you guys remember the first time you, you heard about the concept of passive income or the first time it really hit you? Maybe the second time you heard about it and you're like, wait, this sounds awesome. Do you, do you remember that moment? Or? Yeah, for me, it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, that was the book. I read that. I think it was ninth grade. And, uh, you know, before then, obviously, like, I'm just into collecting. Like, I liked coin collecting and stuff like that. So I, I kind of had the idea that, you know, money was was something to, to do something with or save. 
but yeah, when I when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. You should buy assets and don't mm. buy liabilities. I that book is I'm sure has gotten so many people into both real estate investing and just finance in general. That's so funny. Okay. It's it's like for magicians, David Copperfield was like the guy that got everyone into magic. So it, I think you're right that uh, uh, who, who wrote that book again? Robert it was Kiyosaki. Robert Kiyosaki. That's right. Uh, he's kind of like the, the granddaddy that got everyone into that kind of stuff. But for me, I remember it was in 2014 when I saw dividend stocks. It was, it was a blogger. His name was Jason. And he was basically out in the open for the first time ever. I had never seen something like this before. He would show his income breakdown of exactly how much money he made that month from where he made it and what he spent it on. And this guy was making $50,000 a year. And he had a fascinating story that he said when, when he was 30 years old, he was negative like, I don't know, $100,000 in debt. So he's like, I was worth more as a baby than as a 30 year old. <laughs> and, and that was like, his, and it was a fascinating story. And so it was so cool to see this guy who's just a regular guy with a regular income, just say, here's what I'm buying. This is the stock I bought. Here's how much I spent this month. It would take me X, Y, Z in time to cover my expenses, at which point I can not have to work and live my same lifestyle. And that concept connected with me so well because it's like, I get it. The, the, what we're striving for in, in life and in work and saving money is sometimes it feels so ethereal and like undefined. Like, what, like, what's the point? Why am I doing this? And when you break it down in terms of how much money you spend per month and that's how much money you need covered passively, at which point you don't need a job, you're like, wait a minute, like something just clicks. And you're like, now I understand why I'm saving, why I'm investing. And then the value of what you're putting money into doesn't matter so much. It's like I'm trying to accumulate assets so they can pay me passively. So that that's kind of what clicked with me. I love that. I love yeah. that. Kiyosaki was the original Finfluencer. He was, but he's he's. Yeah. I know he's pretty controversial in the industry for some reason. I don't follow him too close, but uh, I, I think some people don't like that he that he constantly promotes gold and asset gold. Fear, fear mongery, but I think I don't know. You go back to or and then some people say that the rich dad poor dad never really existed. That that was just a metaphor. Mm -hmm. Either way, I don't care. I I thought you know as long as the takeaway is save and invest, I don't care. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's cool. I would love to know how much he ever made off that book too. Right? Yeah, he probably made millions. I would love to see an income breakdown from him. Yeah, I'm serious. He's got to be pulling in like thirty, fifty million dollars a year. Woo. At Jeez. the peak, probably though, not, not no, still. probably still now. I don't know. No, Rich not, Dad, Poor Dad, no. he's got so he's got so many seminars, products. Oh, I thought you meant specifically from the book alone. No, no, no. I'm just in general. Oh yeah, I don't know. He's crazy. All right, gentlemen, we got anything else to cover in this week's episode? No, besides FTX, check them out. Don't yeah. forget. Check out FTX before you leave. The link is down below in the description. And the cool thing about it is that you get free crypto on every trade over $10. So the other day, I bought some Bitcoin. I got Tron. I bought some more Bitcoin. I got a Dogecoin for free. So yeah, may as well do that. Otherwise, you're just leaving money on the table. The link is down below in the description. And uh, they also got a crypto debit card that could be used throughout millions of merchants worldwide. So all the links are down below in the description. Save your money. They have lower fees. And... Uh, Next time, we're going to be in the studio, finally, Jeremy. So make sure to subscribe to be a part of it, and you'll see the full video next week. Thanks, guys. Ah, spring. 
Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FTIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.